Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. And we are back with the Lay of the Points podcast. I'm your host, Kendall Caps, alongside Jordan Chereau. We finally have the NBA Finals behind us. It was quite the season and quite the series between Golden State and Boston. Unfortunately for my C's, we fell a little bit short. Yeah, how you feeling? Because I was with you uh, in that game, and actually, uh, you were doing pretty well. Like you were pretty, you know, calm and collected. You kind of sensed kind of how it was going to go um, after like middle to second quarter. But um, I thought you took it pretty well, and uh, it was a good series. I mean, it would have been great to go to seven, but. Um, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. I mean, part of the reason why I think I handled the loss so well, and it was better than I think myself, I, better than I expected. My wife also was very surprised that I didn't drink myself into oblivion that night uh, was one, you and I both had the Warriors in six. Like it wasn't that it was a shock uh, before the series. We came on this show and we talked about the Warriors and why we like them to win this series in six. Boston wasn't great on their home floor in the postseason. And once again, that that came to fruition in, in the elimination game. Uh, but also, you know, I'm a fan of history. And we, what we are watching with the Golden State Warriors is NBA history. I mean, I think it's safe to say that they are one of the better dynasties that we have seen over the last quarter century. I'd say you put them, maybe the Spurs, and then going back to the the three-peat of the Lakers, uh, but that was really just three years, and they lost the title after that, um, and then back to the Bulls and Jordan in the 90s. And so I think you've got to put them right up there with those teams historically, and they're not done. they got a lot of young talent that didn't even play in that series. Totally agree with you. Yeah, 100%. Like, this Warriors dynasty is just incredible, and, and Steph Curry finally won his first NBA Finals MVP um, four-time champion in, in, uh, in an eight-year span. He played on the 73-9 and nine Golden State Warriors team. He's a two-time NBA MVP, greatest shooter in history by a mile. Like, I think you could agree with that. And uh, his performance in Game 4 versus Celtics, you know, gave legacy his legacy the biggest bump ever. Uh, where do you rank him all-time now? I, You know, it's funny. Coming into this series even though we predicted the Warriors to win and we both had Curry winning the MVP, I, I didn't think that I would bump him as much as I did. But then I started to really think about it and even just looking at point guards all time. And I think you have, you'd have a hard time arguing that he's not at least the second greatest point guard maybe behind Magic Johnson all time. And, you know, the, the top five people have all different orders, but it's mostly the same characters. And then you have some form of maybe Bird, Kobe, some people have Shaq, Duncan in that top 10. I think you can make the solid argument at this point that Steph Curry belongs somewhere in the back end of that top 10. And you talked about that game four performance. That was his hallmark performance. They were trailing 2-1 in that series on the road in Boston. If they lose that game, they probably lose this series. And it's a big X on his resume. He would have fallen to 3-3 three and three in finals. Um, and then instead, he goes out there on the road, has the game of his life, put the whole team on his back. I mean, I don't think anyone else scored more than 16 or 18 points that game. Yep. And he drops 43. Um, 
They win that game. And then he plays really, really well the last couple games, takes it home, wins the MVP finally. So, you know, people for all that talk, oh, he's never won a finals MVP. KD was the best those two years. And uh, Iguodala won the finals MVP in the, with the first title because Iguodala held LeBron to almost a triple-double for that series. Literally almost a triple-double. And they awarded Iguodala the MVP for holding him to almost a triple-double. Um, I think Curry easily could have won that MVP as well, but yeah, personally, I think he's right there. Number nine or number 10 all time. And he still has room to grow. Yeah. I think he's only what? 34, 35 32, years. I think. Oh, 30? really? Yeah. It's somewhere early mid thirties. Yeah. I mean, the Warriors are already favored to win the title next year. And like I touched on, they didn't play Kaminga. They didn't play James Wiseman, Steph Curry, or excuse me, Steve Kerr typically does not play his, his young guys in the postseason, and you give them one more year to get healthy, to get some more minutes and get acclimated to playing with some of these other guys, and they essentially have almost the entire rest of the team coming back, they very well might find themselves in the finals again next year. And if he takes down a fifth and maybe a sixth before he's done, it's going to be hard to argue that he might crack the top five by the time he's done. You know what's scary is with that thinking of, hey, like let's capitalize on Curry and Clay and these guys right now as much as possible. What if they take these young talent going into next year and either groom them or trade them for another good piece? Maybe if, you know, like they lose like guys like Otto Porter or other guys and they want to add, I mean, like just imagine if they like called the Washington Wizards and were like, hey, you know, what can we get for Bradley Beal? Like, I know he opted out, but just imagine like they could still take these young pieces and just capitalize and try to win as many rings as possible while they have Curry and Clay. And, you know, like I know you're building for the future, but I mean, you might go down as one of the best dynasties ever. And so that's an angle, probably not going to happen. It's a credit to that organization too. I, I saw a stat the other day they're the first franchise in something like 40 years to win an NBA title with eight players that they drafted. So they weren't just acquiring bodies. These were guys that they went out and drafted themselves, groomed, and they came up through the Warriors and blossomed into what they became. And it's a credit to the scouting department in the coaches and the assistant coaches and Steve yeah, I mean, now you look at Steve Kerr. Is he, you know, a top five coach all time now? You have to wonder. I mean, what has he won? Five rings as a coach or four rings as a coach, five as a player. So like just historically, I mean, he's entering Bill Russell territory almost. It's ridiculous. Right. Yeah. And, you know, with uh, with what you said about um, how they built through the draft, and credit to their front office and their scouting is just amazing. And you know, like when I look at other teams that drafted really, really well outside of the Warriors, you know, you look at OKC, you know, they, they drafted Harden, Westbrook, Durant, Serge Ibaka. Unfortunately, like they couldn't get a ring out of that, that, that group. Then you look at like the Spurs, you know, they drafted Tim Duncan, they drafted Mono Ginobili late, they drafted Tony Parker. So, mm-hmm. I respect teams so much who build through the draft, build the right way, than teams that just build for championships and just trade. For, you know, everyone wants to like, you know, super team it up. You know, just like Draymond Green said to LeBron, you know, about about the the super team. I'm not a fan of that. 
So um, credit to the Warriors. I mean, everyone had their doubts about Steph Curry coming out of the draft. He was too small. Um, he just, you know, like he just wasn't going to make it. Man, he proved everyone wrong. So yes, good on them. Um, but let's 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 switch to the to the Celtics. You know, like I've heard a lot of slander lately, especially on the show, um, my job, the Rich Eisen show, about Jason Tatum and him him just taking so much just abuse uh, on social media about his performance. But, you know, let's get one thing straight. He had an amazing season. He's only 24 years old. This is his first finals appearance. So, you know, um, he didn't have a great NBA finals, but, uh, you know, um, you know, Michael Jordan, LeBron, Shaq, Curry, they all won their first title 27. So he's, he's got a lot of room to grow and he's going to grow with, um, Jalen Brown and uh, they're going to be just fine. They're probably going to be right back. And I know it's really, really hard to get back to the NBA finals. So you got to really capitalize on it when you're there, but I am not worried about Jason Tatum. Everyone just needs to back off of him and, and, uh, he just needs to regroup, come back better than ever next year. And, um, I mean, what are your thoughts on all the stuff he's taken lately? I agree with you that I think there's a bit of an overreaction coming out of that series. And people forget that the Celtics were the best defense in the NBA, but the Warriors were a top three, top four defense in the NBA this year as well. They weren't chopped liver and they did an exceptional job cutting Jason Tatum off when he tried to get into the lane in making things really, really difficult on him. And they also had very active hands in passing lanes and got a number of steals off of him when he drove and then tried to kick. So it's partially a credit to the Warriors. But as a Celtics fan, and maybe it's because I'm a Celtics fan, I, I am a little bit concerned about him blossoming into the world superstar that we thought he was about to become. And it wasn't even as much about his play. But after, I believe it was the game four loss. Yeah, I believe it was after the game four loss when the Warriors tied it up at two games apiece. And afterward, he was speaking to the media and he basically said, I'd like to know, you know, people are saying that he's not going to be a superstar. Well, did, did I call myself a superstar? Did I tweet that out? Like it was really awkward to watch. And I can't imagine any of the all time greats speaking after a loss saying, Hey man, well, I didn't say I was a superstar. You said I was a superstar. Like you don't normally degrade yourself in that way. Like it takes a certain mentality to be the best of the best at the highest level in professional sports, that killer instinct, that Mamba mentality, you know, as a Celtics fan, I didn't like the Lakers. I passionately despised them, but man, did I respect Kobe Bryant and that willingness to win, to do anything it took to win. And I don't see that same, that same fire in Jason Tatum and not every basketball player and not every professional athlete needs to be the vocal leader. And it's clear that Tatum is not that guy. Marcus Smart was the, the emotional and vocal leader of this Celtics team. And he might not even be there potentially because of at the end of the day, they need a point guard that can make plays offensively and get his own shot, um, which would be a shame, but I wouldn't be shocked to see them move him. And knowing that that gene just might not be there, I don't know if Tatum is ever going to be that dude like we talked about last week. 
And so I am a little bit concerned. I do think he is an outstanding talent, phenomenal player, one of the better two-way players in the entire NBA alongside Jalen Brown. Um, But I don't know if he's ever going to turn into that alpha that you can count on to get you 25 to 35 every game of a series. Yeah, it was pretty evident. I, I think, um, I think going into the finals, I just said, like, I was banking on the Warriors basically because of experience and the Celtics had their moments, but they got sloppy, you know, and they, and they got sloppy in big moments of, of big games, just turning careless turnover after careless turnover and having you have to, you know, cause we watched three games together. So I had to watch you live through it. <laughs> so, um, but I think they'll be fine. I mean, Tatum is a fun, excuse me. Yeah. Jason Tatum is a phenomenal player. I am not worried about him, but yeah, like to win NBA, uh, championships in those moments, you just really have to have, you know, the Mamba mentality to do whatever it takes and to hit those big shots and not turn the ball over in crucial situations. And um, I think he'll be fine. You know, it's uh, just growing pains for him. But man, credit to the Celtics. What a what a heck of a year for them. Um, and uh, credit to the Warriors, you know, another championship. And uh, we'll probably have to watch it all over again next year as well. Very well. Well, speaking of next year and teams preparing for for what's to come, in a tomorrow evening, we got the NBA draft kicking off, which I know for you, you you got to be excited. Your Sacramento Kings jumped up a few spots. Normally, you guys are relegated to seven through nine, and you guys are sitting in a really good spot at four. Um, but yeah, I mean, the top three most people think are spoken for, but the specific order isn't necessarily laid out. I'm curious, what are your thoughts? Uh, who do you think goes first? Oh, the NBA draft. You know, I'll take you back to the NBA draft lottery. Um, I have a, um, this thing that I do every single NBA draft lottery because the Sacramento Kings are always in it is I pet my dog. It's a, a rescue pit bull. And I did it one time and they moved up in the draft. And then two years later I did it again and they moved up again. So this year I was like, I'm doing the exact same thing. I don't even watch the lottery. I followed on Twitter and sure enough, it happened again. So then I went to a commercial break because I knew they were in the top four and I went to a commercial break and I was just like, please let it be in the top three or win. I like had a feeling I was like, are they going to actually win the lottery? And, <laughs> then, and then, and then when they called the fourth pick, I was pissed. I threw out an F bomb and I was pissed. My wife laughed at me. She's like, "Why? like you're in the top four. And I'm like, yeah, but it's like the worst spot. It's like a three player draft. But then, um, it kind of just reality set in and I was excited, but, uh, it's terrifying. You know, I'm like, the thing about it is, is that like, when I look at the top three, it's going to go most likely Jabari Smith is going to go to Orlando and uh, Chet Holmgren is probably going to go to the thunder at number two. And Paulo Bancaro is going to go most likely to the Rockets at three. And then it leaves the Kings at four. And I know they've been taking a lot of calls on the pick, um, from other teams trying to move up um, to get Jade Nivey because, you know, I think that this draft is a four-player draft. So, but then when I look at Jade Nivey at four for the Kings, I get very worried. And the reason why is because he's like such a similar player to De'Aaron Fox. Speed, get to the rim, not a good shooter, not a good defender. They're like mere images of each other. But the thing about the draft is when you're at the number four spot, 
if you're going to trade that pick because it has so much value because people think that the draft drops off after four, it has so much value that you better be getting really good value in return. And you don't want to drop too far. So the teams that are thinking about trading with the Kings that it's been rumored are uh, Detroit at six. No, I'm sorry. Detroit at five, the Pacers at six, the Wizards at 10. But I look at those teams and there's nothing really outside of Sadiq Bay from Detroit that interests me to move back. I think I'd rather just roll the dice with Jay Nivey, but there have been crazy rumors that they're super high on Keegan Murray out of Iowa. I look at a guy like Keegan Murray. He led uh, led the league in scoring college basketball last year at about 25 points a game. His game is solid. He's a solid, safe pick, and he's a he's a pick that they would get for fit. The Kings should never, ever draft for fit, ever, because I can <laughs> look back three years ago in the 2018 draft when they drafted Marvin Bagley instead of taking Luka Doncic because they needed a big, and we all know how that one played out. Luka Doncic is one of the best players in the NBA, and Marvin Bagley is probably, I mean, he's like a bench player in Detroit. So I just, I'm terrified that they're going to pass on Jaden Ivey at four and he's going to turn into the next like Donovan Mitchell. I just, so those are my thoughts. I'm excited, but terrified at the same time. I'm curious though. I do think there is a possibility because there have also been some rumors surrounding the possibility that the Oklahoma City Thunder at number two, who also really like Jaden Ivey, could shock everyone and go with him at number two overall. If that were to happen, which he's 23 to one, he's plus 2,300 to go second in the draft. Which, which is to me, insane. I think, it's insane. It's yeah, insane. I agree, especially knowing they've openly expressed how much they like him. And, it, you know, I know that you are a Chet Holmgren fan and believe he is going to be a valuable contributor in the NBA. I personally am not as sold. And I know everybody has said, it, oh, it's, it's only because he's so wiry and thin, but he has all the skills and he does. He's seven feet. He can handle the ball. He can shoot. He can rebound. He's amazing defensively. He's a great rim protector. All of those things. But he's seven foot and he weighs less than me. I don't weigh 200 pounds. Like that's crazy. And going against grown men, going against grown men, 260 pound men, 280 pound men, moving him. I don't care how tall or long you are. If I can just shove you out of my way, especially in today's NBA, you know, I do think that there is a possibility that he, I don't want to say bust because I do think his skill set, no matter what, will supersede and he will be a productive player. But I do see a world where he's not an all-star. He's just a good player and maybe a guy that, you know, plays 20, 25 minutes a game, rotates and, and is productive when he's there, but might not be what people are thinking. And knowing what Oklahoma City's roster currently is constructed with and their inability to score the basketball, Ivy could make a lot of sense. So from a betting perspective, to get 23 to one, I think is worth throwing a few shekels on because if there's any big surprise in the top three, that's probably it. I mean, the second the Rockets traded uh, Christian Wood away, you know that their eyes are on Bancaro. If Bancaro's there at three, they are taking him at three. You can lock that in. Um, the only way they can't is if he goes early, but I don't see either Orlando or OKC doing that. 
Uh, so Boncaro, he's minus 240 to go third. I think that's easy money. I mean, you got to lay some odds, but I think as soon as they traded Wood, that was almost a lock. So when you know something's going to happen, sometimes it's worth throwing down some money, even if you have to lay the odds. So I really like that there. Um, but then, yeah, when it gets to four, if Ivy is there, I get what you're saying. You, you want to go with best player available. Um, uh, but Benedict Matherin, when I watch his game and I see his ability to play both ends of the floor, if there's someone I really like outside the top three, he might be my favorite pick to be a perennial solid player for the next 10 to 12 years. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Um, I love his tenacity on the court. Uh, he plays with a lot of fire and I love two-way players. Like I love players that play defense and that's the one knock on Jaden Ivey is, uh, you know, watching a lot of his tape, like he gets stands with his hands in his pockets, gets beat back door and, and he has a tough time staying in front of his man. And, you know, and you combine him with the Aaron who, who, who can't, but they did bring in one of the best defensive coaches in the league with Mike Brown. And he's going to hold these guys accountable, um, to play hard, give effort. So that gives me some hope, but, um, you know, um, just some more odds like Orlando is um, they're supposed to for probably like a month now to take Jabari Smith. He's, he's minus two ninety, but uh, also Chet Holmgren is plus four twenty. And there had been hints that maybe Orlando, because remember Orlando's general manager loves to draft lengthy, like Jonathan Isaac, Jonathan Isaac, long, like power forward. Um, uh, Mo Bamba, long center, like they love those type of players. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if Chet Holmgren um, goes number one at plus 420. So that's a nice little bet too. But so, um, but I do agree. Like I think Paulo Bancaro is basically a lock at three. Yeah, if there's one guy that, because like you said, there is the potential for Holmgren to go one and therefore that changes things up with two. But the one thing we know almost for a certainty is Boncaro is going to go three. So I feel like, again, if you have, even though you have to lay the odds, that's, that's your lock it in bet. And then it's all about trying to find a little bit of value from there. Um, and knowing, uh, you know, at, at four, your Kings, uh, Jaden Ivy's minus minus one thirty, So he's a slight favorite to get picked there. And then Murray is plus one twenty five, and everyone else drops way off the table. And, if they like Matherin like we do, you can get 21 to 1 on your money in that spot. Um, Shaden Sharp, the the kid who didn't end up playing at Kentucky, is 14 to 1. But I just don't know. I, I mean, I guess if there's one team that would just say, hey, he looks talented, let's go with him. Maybe it'd be the Kings. Um, but I feel like I could see him being the one guy that's projected to be a top six pick end up dropping quite a ways. Like when I look at the Kings, like... When Vladi was the general manager, he picked some wild picks. Like he picked Harry Giles, who was coming off like terrible knee injuries. He yeah, picked, played like a handful of games at Duke. Yeah. He surprised everyone at like 13, taking Papa Giannis from Greece. Like no <laughs> one even, you know, and, and he didn't turn out to be good. Then he took Justin Jackson, who was one of the, uh, he was a pretty good, solid, small forward for North Carolina. So like they took him at like 15. So if I go back at Monty McNair, who's the general manager of the Kings, what he said before is he always takes best player 
best talent, no matter what the fit is. He took he took uh, Tyrese Halliburton when they had De'Aaron Fox. Last year, he took um, Davion Mitchell, a guard, when they had Halliburton and Fox. Then he ended up trading Halliburton for Sabonis. Mm-hmm. So I think he looks at this as Jaden Ivey is probably the best talent. If he takes Keegan Murray, then he just believes that Keegan Murray is going to be a better player than Jaden Ivey. That could that could be. I mean, the NBA drafts a crapshoot. Like you never know. There's going to be guys that are going to be in the later first rounds that are better than the guys in the top ten. Yeah, it just happens every year. And Jaden Ivey has basically said this week that he doesn't think he hasn't talked to the Kings. He hasn't worked out for the Kings. He he said, and I'm not going to say maybe the exact quote he said, but he said it wouldn't be the worst to get drafted to the Kings. Because he knows they have Davion Mitchell and De'Aaron Fox. And like, I get it. Like, he wants to play. He wants to be the man. And, but like, let's be honest. I mean, Davion Mitchell is a good player. He's a good player. But Jaden Ivey, I can probably say right now, he's going to be better than Davion Mitchell in the NBA. So, you know, like when you look at that, you're like, okay. So just because they have Davion Mitchell doesn't mean you don't take Jaden Ivey. And if Jaden Ivey turns out to be awesome and he doesn't work with Fox, then you trade Fox. You know, like that's just what you do. Like you don't take Keegan Murray who fits nicely next to Sabonis. And then you watch Jaden Ivey in two years blossom into an, an amazing player. And Keegan Murray is a solid, good role player on a 34 win team. You just don't do it, you know? Yeah. And, and if you're going to trade back, there's been teams that have been calling and been you know, rumored that, you know, the Pacers would offer uh, maybe Chris Duarte to move back to, to move up to four, uh, offer the Kings Duarte and six to move to four or Malcolm Brogdon. Or if you look at like the Washington Wizards, they could offer Kyle Kuzma and the 10, or you look at a team like maybe the Pistons, they offer uh, Sadiq Bay to move back a spot. So I, you know, I look at those trades, it's, it's pretty good. Like the only one I like is Sadiq Bay to move back a spot because then you can still get a Sadiq Bay who could be your three or four in certain spots. He's and, a great defender. And then you draft a guy in maybe Benedict Matherin or a Keegan Murray. And I can live with that. Like I can live with that if Jaden Ivey, whatever, you know, turns out to be great. So they're in a tough spot. But I think at the end of the day, um, unless something crazy happens in the three, because if Jaden Ivey gets drafted by OKC, then I think Chet Holmgren falls to four because I don't think the Rockets would take Chet Holmgren at three. I think they're locked in it on, on Bancaro. And then the Kings better take Chet because I'm a huge Chet fan. He fits perfectly with what the Kings need. They need a floor spacer. They need a weak side rim protector. They were one of the worst teams in the league. And I'll also say when you were talking about OKC, when they want to take Chet and that he might not be like, I don't see Chet Holmgren as like an all-star. I don't. Like I see him as a good, solid, winning role player. And it's like the Thunder were like the 27th worst offense last year. What is Chet going to give you? Is he going to give you like fifth, you know, like in like 15 points, 18 points a game, 10 rebounds? Yeah. Jaden Ivey could end up averaging like in his career, the peak of his career, like 24 points and like four assists, couple steals, like, and he, he looks like he could be a superstar. Chet Holmgren, I don't see. Paulo Bencaro, I can see as possible stud. I don't really see 
the superstar quality in Jabari Smith. That's just me. I don't see it. I think he's a really, really good player. I just don't see it. So, but I also said the same thing. I wasn't high on Jason Tatum going into that draft too. And look at him. So, well, either way, it should be a lot of fun. I'm really excited to see the draft this year, just because there's so much intrigue, especially when you get to that number four spot and how the next five picks are all going to go are going to be dependent upon what happens to you guys at four. Exactly. So, so it should be a lot of fun. It should be a lot of fun. Looking forward to it. And uh, so now let's uh, let's jump into Kendall's corner. Go ahead. All right. So we've talked as the NHL Stanley Cup finals began last week. We talked heading into that series that there were a couple things that stood out that were, seemed pretty obvious to me. And they were prop bets that were easy money makers. The total goals for the series, 32 and a half. I said, hammer the over. Both of these teams... I know Andre Vasilevsky is an all-world goaltender, but there's too much offensive talent, and you know that this is probably going to be a long series. Well, we're three games in. It's 2-1 Colorado. There's been 22 goals so far. So unless things drastically change, that over looks like it was a really, really smart lock. And also, uh, I talked about Miko Rantanen for the Avs as a possible Conn Smythe Trophy winner. He was 30-1 to when the NHL Stanley Cup Finals started. He has seven assists in the first three games. He had one goal that should have been counted as a goal, but someone tipped it in after as it was crossing the line, so they gave him an assist for it. If Colorado wins this series, he adds three, four more assists and scores a couple goals and finishes with three goals and 11 assists in the Stanley Cup Finals, even though he doesn't have quite as many goals overall as Maker or Landeskog or McKinnon his total breadth of work and what he's done on the power play, knowing that you could have got him at 30 to one last week. When I said his odds are already down to eight plus eight fifty, So you're only getting eight and a half to one on your money. So Vegas has finally caught up to what I said was going to happen um, before they realized what was really going on and 30 to one. That was just absolutely ridiculous. Speaking of Rantanen, because of how well he's playing in moving the puck offensively and playing on the power play, which their power play has been lethal both throughout the playoffs and in the series, he is uh, minus 130 to just get one assist. The over-unders, a half of assist heading into game four Wednesday night. You got until he doesn't get an assist. I have to think he's going to do it again. That team is so loaded offensively. They get 30 some odd shots every game. Why not? lay down the minus 130, take Ranton to get another assist. Uh, another another bet going into game four that I really like, Vasilevsky, his saves total is sitting at 32 and a half. You can get even money if you take the under. Through three games, Colorado's averaging a little over 35 shots a game. But remember, 35 shots a game is not how many saves Vasilevsky's getting. He gave up a number of goals, and Colorado is so skilled offensively, odds are they're going to get a couple more goals as well. They had 39 shots in Game 3, but odds say on the road in a game that is probably not going to be a blowout loss the way Game 3 was when they were just chucking pucks at the net uh, from everywhere just to throw pucks on the net when they were down big. I expect this game to be more tightly contested. I don't think they get close to 39 shots. Let's say they get 35, 34 shots in this game. That means Vasilevsky's save number is probably under 32 and a half. So you can get even money to take the under. Everyone loves hammering the over because Colorado scores on blah, blah, blah. Take the under 32 and a half. Trust me, you'll be glad that you did. Um, And also game four, the over under for the game 
You can take the over. It's sitting at six goals. They, Vegas didn't give you the half this time. It's a flat six. There's been either seven or eight goals in every game this series. Again, there's so much offensive talent on both ends of the ice. It's hard to think that the under has any chance of cashing. Um, so knowing you can take the over six, I think they're almost making a mistake by putting it at six because I see the bare minimum of six in this game. So you can't lose. You'll either draw, get your money back, or you'll hit the over. So take the over on even money. You'll really appreciate it. Last thing with Kendall's corner for this week. A few weeks ago, I talked about you were going to get 330 plus 330 for Aaron Judge as MVP. Last week, Vegas finally caught up. They lowered it down to 210. Now they have it at even money for Aaron Judge winning the MVP. There's no value left in betting on him. If you were going to, you should have listened to me a few weeks ago when he was plus 330. But because he gets hurt so often, as does Mike Trout, despite both of them having fantastic years, if they get hurt again late in this season, which they tend to do, Otani is not putting up nearly the numbers he did last year. Jose Ramirez and Devers, both are on teams that likely are not going to be winning their division. So there's one other guy. You can get 20 to 1 on Jordan Alvarez right now to win AL MVP. He's on pace for 50 home runs, 140 RBIs. He's hitting 315. And guess what? He's on the AL West champion Astros. They're not going to lose that division there. They've pulled, they have like 11 game lead after the angels fell apart, which I said they were going to on the show a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so he's already statistically among the league leaders. He's on a team that's going to win their division. And he, unlike judge and unlike trout does not have an injury history for 20 to one. I will take that to the bank all day. That's it for Kendall's Corner this week. Trust me, you're going to want to lock these in because we keep hitting them week after week. Good stuff, Kendall. Love it. Love Kendall's Corner. It's one of my favorite things on this podcast. All right, everybody. NBA draft tomorrow. It's going to be exciting. I'm going to be drinking probably a lot before it starts. Everyone have a great rest of the week, and we'll be back on Monday. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.